Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Good morning, church. My name is Eugene van Yerden. I'm an elder at uh, Arcadia. And uh, we'll be considering Malachi chapters 4, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 this morning. I'll also be referring to related scripture as we proceed. But before we consider his word, let's just ask for God's blessing on our gathering. Dear Lord, I pray your blessing on the preaching of your word. Help me to speak clearly and truthfully that which you've laid on my heart. And may our meditation of it be pleasing to you. And may it instruct, correct, and change us by its almighty power. Amen. So if you turn to Malachi chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6, it reads as follows. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. As you may be aware, there are approximately 400 years between the conclusion of the book of Malachi and the opening verses of Matthew. 400 years of no written prophecies, 400 years in which God apparently shut shop and decided to call it a day. He evidently wanted nothing more to do with his people. The intertestamental silence has therefore attracted much speculation and this morning we'll examine and try to understand what God is indeed saying to us in his apparent silence. Now have you as a parent ever had to deal with an obstinate, unruly child, teenager, young adult, or even a family member who is determined to get his or her own way at whatever cost. A teenager or family member in the grip of some form of addiction, but is not willing to accept the error of their ways, but instead is rebelliously determined to continue on their destructive course. You have begged, pleaded, threatened, but your words have all but been ignored and and you feel as if you're speaking to a brick wall. You have lost count of all the hours you have spent on your knees in prayer and your tears have all but dried up. And you do this because you love, <coughs> you love the person, 
But the hurt as a result of the stubborn rejection just becomes unbearable. So eventually you withdraw and you become silent because you've run out of words. Have you been there? I think we've all been there. Well, God too has been there. Chapter 3 in Malachi verses 17. Malachi is speaking to the Israelites. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, that's the Israelites, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil in the sight of the Lord is good, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is this God of justice? So we can see that God is clearly tired and fed up with the insults, the nation's dishonoring behavior and their sinful stubbornness. The evidence of God's anger is indeed on display here. But it's against a background that we need to understand. Firstly, that God is underlining and clearly exclaiming how serious and deep the divide between him and his people, that's us, were. And as a result, the solution that he was about to introduce, that is, that we are about to witness the transition from the covenant of law to the new covenant, the covenant of grace. The covenant of law was an agreement between God and the Israelites that God would command and in return the Israelites would be expected to obey. Does that sound familiar when you speak to your children? God was in dialogue with his nation. He would instruct them, warn them, and then punish them in order to restore the relationship. They would obey and toe the line for a season, but then fall back into sin again. And so the cycle repeated itself right up to the book of Malachi. But here God drew the proverbial line in the sand and said, no more. The covenant of grace to follow was realized for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the conditions were that God alone would determine now the way of redemption. That salvation belongs to him and to him alone. The messenger to herald in this new covenant was John the Baptist. You look at Malachi the verses 4, uh, Malachi verses 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In Matthew 11 verse 14, we see the prophecy in Malachi verse 5 clearly fulfilled. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah 
He is Elijah who is to come. Here we clearly see the explanation of who the Elijah is referred to in Malachi. John the Baptist is to prepare a way in the wilderness to introduce his disciples and followers and eventually the world to Christ. His birth was for the sole purpose of proclaiming Christ. Luke chapter 1 verses 13 to 17 further explains. Important to note that this is the first time since Malachi that God speaks again. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine strong drink and he will be filled with Holy Spirit from even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and this is the verse and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just Make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Folk, what we are witnessing here is indeed the historical point of no return. God hasn't been silent, He hasn't been absent. On the contrary, His perfect love has dictated the course of history and there is no going back. We need to pause here for a moment and take in the enormity of what is actually taking place here. We are about to witness the fulfilling of God's redemptive plan, His promises as proclaimed by the prophets. God has not lost the plot. He's not working on a plan B. No. He is about to remedy the rift, the unassailable chasm to deal with the eternal matter of sin that has separated us from him. And now he's able to draw us to himself by providing the ultimate sacrifice. His Son, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Are we able to grasp the depth of patience, love and compassion on display here? I don't think so. Can we witness this momentous act of compassion and not be moved in one way or another? Accept it or dismiss it, but you cannot be neutral. And so we need to take heed, lest we are caught on the wrong side of this divide. 
There is a warning, God's warning. And we need to understand that God's warning is not peculiar to the Israelites in Malachi. But that, that he has been warning all. And that will include us from the time of the fall. Malachi 4 verses 1 reads as follows, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So God is clear in his expectations of us. The way to salvation has been provided. But we need to seize the opportunity to make right with the Lord while there is still time. The Israelites were given 400 years to consider their relationship with God and given time to return to him. But they failed dismally in seeing the significance And they did not understand God's silence, for they were blinded by their own selfish desires. Folk, we are no different. Tomorrow, the birth of Christ, 25th of December, we look forward to it, but it's promised to no one. Not one of us in this room knows that we'll be there tomorrow. The day of judgment is sure to come and, will, and all without, without exception will be subject to it. And here are some of Israel's and by implication our transgressions listed in Malachi against God. And these things may sound familiar. Her unfaithfulness, that's Israel's unfaithfulness in her response to God's proclaimed love for her her dismissal of God's laws, living in adultery, perjuring themselves, oppressing the poor, abusing the temple, and saying that God was unjust, and blaming him to be the cause of their, by implication, our hardship and misery. These are about These are but a few, and they are recorded specifically as a warning for us that God will not tolerate and does not tolerate any sin, and that sin indeed will not go unpunished and will lead to eternal death. To escape it is nigh impossible task, then you would reply. Short answer is yes. except for the promise of God that we're not alone anymore and that there is now a sure way of reconciliation with him. God also gives us a promise. I will send you my son so that you don't have to fight this battle against sin alone anymore. And what a promise. 
God's providential timing is perfect and his redemptive purposes cannot be challenged or altered. His promise of a saviour is recorded in multiple scriptures. Isaiah 7 verse 14 reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Proverbs 30 verse 4 Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. The birth of Christ is the greatest historical moment in the history of man. But how significant and profound that moment when the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ and God speaks. Luke 3 verses 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice from heaven said the following, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And notice the wonderful contrast and promise in verse 6, The hearts of the fathers will be softened, and turned towards their children, and likewise the children in their, to their fathers. And here is the evidence of the clear promise of eternal restoration. Not a tug of war, a continuing fight between God and his people. From being enemies of God to being invited into his family as adopted children. But this transformation of the heart can only happen by the power of God through Jesus, his Son. And therefore the promise to you and I from God himself, I have given you my beloved Son to right your wrongs, to bind your wounds, to take your burden from you that you've been carrying for so long. And how are we reminded in this season supposed joy meant to be joyful of the hurts and the heartache things that we don't have time to think about during the course of the year that they come rushing in at us during this time. And God says to dry your tears, to calm the stormy waters in which you have been drifting for as long as you can remember. But above all, to forgive your sins. And it's free. So what do we do with all of this information and how do we apply it to our lives? Are you struggling with an unforgiving heart? Has someone wronged you 
someone hurt you? And now you've dug in your heels because you feel you've been injured. God sets his example for us. He sent his son as a sacrifice for our iniquities. What right then do we have to presume any righteousness? We have the perfect example. So let us follow that example. And this is the hardest thing in life, people. Simply forgive. Do we do it in our own strength? No. Do we do it because it's a good idea? No. Because we do it because God set the example for us, and that's what we need to do. We must take heed of the clear warnings given to given by God that there are dire and eternal consequences for our sins, and that's important that we understand that. And how do we navigate life not stumbling, not hurting, not crossing someone's path and suffering the consequences, not upsetting other people around us? How do we walk a walk of faith? In strength. We need to study God's word. To be informed. About how he wants us to live. We need to be alert. The world. Sets an example for us under the influence of the evil one that is to destroy us if we follow it. We need to talk to God in prayer. That we may stand strong in our faith, in our walk of faith, And if we do these things, there is a consequence. The word encouragement. We will be encouraged because we now know that we're not doing it alone. And we will be filled with renewed hope or the Savior has been born to us. We need to understand that God literally moved heaven and earth to ensure that His Son will be be delivered to us as promised in Scripture. He inspired the Magi from Persia to pursue a new phenomenon in the heavens. A star placed there by him. 
to bring attention to the birth of this extraordinary baby. He directed the paths of history to accommodate the birth to take place in Bethlehem to fulfill these prophecies. Micah 5 verses 2 reads, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Speaking of the coming of Jesus. This all because of a love and compassion that cannot be fathomed or fully understood by us, but it's for you and for me. You for a moment think that he who holds the universe in the palm of his hand who gave his only begotten son to deliver us from sin, that he is capable of shutting you out. That he will turn a deaf ear to your desperate cries for help. That he'll give you, that he'll give his creation the silent treatment for 400 years because he lost his temper? No. He's asking that you come to him. You are heavy laden and burdened. And he will give you rest. You, me, once a wretch, trapped in your sin, transformed now, and now can be called a child of the King Most High, no longer an orphan. And you now belong to the eternal family and can truly say, it is well with my soul. In conclusion, God's expression of immeasurable love for the lost amidst the years where he seemed to have abandoned the Israelites, when he decided there was no going back and that the only hope was through his son, our Savior, and that that hope and assurance is eternal and will never, never, never disappoint. So I have one question for you this morning. It's a simple question. Is it well with your soul? To end, I quote two verses from John Newton's well-known hymn of salvation. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear! The hour. I first believed. Dear Lord, as we meditate on your word and that which you've given to us, 
We don't want to miss the importance of today, salvation. Neither do we want to miss the importance of tomorrow, the birth of your son for us. And so, Lord, I do pray that those who are struggling and hurting and have doubts may you minister to them by your Spirit and bring healing and bless us now as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.